Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, praise the Lord. I'm thankful for Jesus this morning. How about you? Hallelujah. And I got my What Would Jesus Undo bracelet right here on the left wrist and uh, ready to go, ready to go this morning. With that being said, I want to read one passage of Scripture up front as we continue in this series, What Would Jesus Undo? That passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Grateful for each of you who are here today, and um, we have been praying for you and believing for God's kingdom and God's will to prevail in your life and in your circumstances. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, through the universities, through the scientific method, The world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Let me pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the opportunity to freely gather in the name of Jesus, the name above every name. And Lord, we thank you for this new covenant where we can come boldly into your very presence that we can encounter your nearness, your compassion, your care, your manifest revealed presence. We yield to you, Holy Spirit. Make much of Jesus in our hearts and in this place. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You know, coming off of last month's series when we're talking about Easter and the road to Easter and the resurrection, I was thinking about the empty tomb. And I was thinking about the reality of the empty tomb and what the empty tomb should say and communicate to you and I. And I had two questions that came in my heart and in my mind as I thought about last month's series and transitioning into this month's series. The first question is, if the tomb is empty, why are our mouths empty? If the tomb is truly empty, then why as followers of Jesus Christ would our mouths be empty? The second question then was, why are we not declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others? And as I thought along those lines and on those two questions, I came to the answer and the conclusion because of one of the biggest lies in American Christianity. The reason why so many of our mouths are empty, the reason why we are not declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ is because of one of the biggest lies in American Christianity. If you noticed in our main scripture text there, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 21, he talks about, the message preached. Notice the message preached. There is a message and God has given us a mouth and it's in the preaching of the message Paul speaks of that God saves people. Paul continues on in that same letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and he gets to what we refer to as chapter 15 in that letter. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14, notice what he says. He says, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. It's like uh, with gas prices today. If your gas tank is empty because you're unwilling to 
pay the current prices, you're not going to get too far. Paul's saying, listen, if, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching and our faith is empty. And as so-called followers of Christ, we're not going to get very far. But verse 15, he says, But yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He has raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if, 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 in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Someone say futile. And you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ before us, they've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all persons, of all persons the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first thing I want to highlight here, what Paul says, is our faith is not futile, it is factual. You and I need to be reminded today through the Scripture of God and by the, the breath of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that our faith is not futile, it is factual. Now we need to determine up front what we mean and what is meant concerning our preaching. Concerning the phrase he uses, our faith. And what is meant in our preaching and our, our faith is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, meaning he, he was truly dead. And he was raised by God from the dead and was seen by many. When the scripture in Paul uses the phrase, our preaching here, and he talks about our faith here, what he's talking about is he's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about every aspect of what it means to follow Christ. He's not referring to every teaching found in God's Word. The our preaching that God uses to save people and our faith, what He's speaking of and talking about is our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is important because... Paul, right before this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, he says that it's this faith, this faith in the gospel, the faith in the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's faith in that gospel by which you are saved and in which you stand. See, we need to be reminded today that you and I stand on facts, not opinions. You and I stand on, uh, on facts, not assumptions. You and I today, as followers of Jesus, we stand on facts, not perceptions. We stand on facts, not judgments. And therefore, our faith is not futile because it's factual. Our faith is not an opinion. Our faith is not a persuasion about, of a denomination. Our our faith is not a perspective. It is factual, and therefore because it's factual, it's not futile. Now, if, if you're one of those English students like I was, we need to dictionary.com this thing. And we need to look up the word futile. And futile means incapable of producing any result. It means to be ineffective, useless, or not successful. Our faith is not futile. Meaning the faith in the death, burial, and resurrection, because it's factual, it's enough for us to be successful in the life God's called us to. It is capable of producing the desired results of God, of saving us from our sins. 
that our faith, because it's not futile but factual, it's effective. It's effective in saving people. The reason our faith is factual is because of the fact of His resurrection. See, listen, Paul, if you saw it there in our 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 20 passage that we looked at, Paul makes it very clear that if all we have is hope, we are of the most persons on the earth, the most pitiable. Meaning, if you and I are basing our entire confidence, our entire eternity, our entire persuasion, our entire belief system on a hope so, then we are of the most persons, the most pitiable. Paul says that that the gospel of our salvation is not a hope strategy. It is factual. It is unchanging. It's already been determined. It's already been accomplished. It's not a hope so. It's not a maybe so. It's not a I hope it works out. I hope Jesus truly is who He said He is. I hope He really can save from our sin. No, no. It is factual. And the fact of His resurrection shows that it is effective. It is capable of producing new life. A right relationship with God our Creator. We have more than hope this morning. We have faith. We have the very substance of that fact. We have the very substance of the fact of His resurrection. We have the substance of His life today. Think about this. Men who followed Him. Men who didn't just follow Him when He preached and taught the multitudes, but but those who were invited at close relationship and fellowship with him who was able to follow him into the homes and into context where he answered questions and explained his teaching to the masses men who followed him went from denying him went from running in fear from authorities went from hiding out in an upper room to boldly proclaiming him and in the end all but John out of the eleven died for the fact of his resurrection They all died not because of a hope that He lives. They died because of the fact that He lives. Because He appeared to them. The proof of His resurrection is certain. It's established. Our faith is not futile because it's a fact. Hallelujah. It says that not only did He appear to the eleven, but He appeared to 500 brethren. At one time. The scripture says that many saints were resurrected with him and walked through the streets of Jerusalem. Oh, our faith is not a hope so strategy. Our faith is not futile. It's not ineffective. It's not uh, incapable of producing confidence. It is factual. So, First, our faith is not futile, it is factual. Secondly, our faith is not empty, it's full of power. Did you see it in verse 14? He said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith also is empty. Verse 20 he says, but now, right in this very moment, Christ is risen. And he's risen from the dead and he's became the first fruits. Meaning, he's became the first declaration that our faith has the power to raise us into newness of life. He's the first fruit. He is the prototype. He is the example. The first of God that our faith is not empty. It's not an empty promise. It's not a promise from a God who can say things and yet don't have the power to accomplish it. Our faith is not empty, it's full of power. And Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know why he wasn't ashamed? Because it's not a hope so strategy. He said it is for it's the power of God to salvation. And he had experienced that power, that power that saved him. Saved him from his sin. Saved him from his misdirection. Saved him from his hatred. He said, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 
for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Notice the power of God to salvation. Salvation from sin. You say, what is sin, Pastor Chad? Sin is lawlessness. Sin is you and I living as a law unto ourselves. Sin is you and I living as if we're our own God, we're our own standard of accountability, as if we can be our own king. It's following in the footsteps of what Scripture calls the lawless one, Lucifer, Satan, the enemy of God who became the lawless one, who rebelled against God's purpose and God's purpose of why He created him. But our gospel's not empty. It's full of power to save us from the principle of sin, save us from a heart of lawlessness. But it's also filled with power to save us from our individual sins. Not just the principle of lawlessness and not just the principle of trying to be our own king, but it's also the power unto deliverance from particular sins. It's the power of God to save us from selfishness, to save us from just self-seeking. And it's the power of God to save us from Satan and his kingdom. His demons that hate mankind and seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Our faith is not empty. It's full of power. And it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's why Paul says Christ was a first fruit. He was a first demonstration of the power in the gospel. That Jesus who was alive but then died, he came alive again. He was resurrected. Why is this important? Because Jesus became everything you and I were. And the fact of his resurrection means he has power to overcome everything we were or everything we are today. It is the power to save. It's the power to deliver. The amazing thing is that that power, that resurrection power, is present in the presentation of the message about God's Son. That in the declaration about God's Son, and the declaration that He was crucified and He died, but He was raised from the dead and seen by many, that in that message contains the very power that raised Him from the dead and can raise people to a new life. The gospel still saving people from sin. The gospel is still saving people from selfishness. The gospel is still saving people from Satan's grip of the fear of death and his torments. It's a power that overcomes all sins. There's no sin you committed that's too great. There's no sin you've committed that's of greater power than the power of God to raise you to a new life. Jesus' resurrection says that it has the power to save all who will believe. And therefore our preaching is not empty because of the power of His resurrection. The resurrection means that God's power is an overcoming power. It's a power that overcomes death, hell, and the grave. It's a power that has overcome every mistake of humanity. It's a power that can overcome every failure of yours. He became what we were, but He was raised in power over it all. Oh, hallelujah. Therefore, our faith is full of power, not because of the persuasiveness of the presentation of the person presenting the gospel. Sometimes people think that the the reason our gospel is full of power is it's full of power because the person declaring the gospel is so persuasive or or they have such a golden tongue or or they're so creative in, in how they present the gospel. No, 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 no. Our gospel is full of power because it's about the one who is risen. Our gospel's full of power because of Jesus' resurrection, not because of you and I and the messenger. Our faith is not empty because it's not based on just human psychology. It's not based on sociology. Our faith is full of power not because of the power of the person's speaking ability. Our faith is full of power because of the substance of His resurrection life. A life that is available for all who believes. Listen, our faith is full of power. Because He is alive. He's alive to save. He's alive to deliver. He's alive to set free. He's alive to make free. He's alive to forgive. 
See, our faith is not empty because it's not based on what you possess, but what He possesses. Our faith is not empty because it's not based on what you possess in the bank account, what you possess in your home, what you possess the knowledge in your mind. Our faith is filled with power because it's based on what He possesses. Overcoming life, authority to forgive, authority to break through the lies of sin and Satan and to rescue. Hallelujah. So our faith is not futile, it's factual. Secondly, our faith is not empty, but it's full of power. And lastly, our faith is not only for the mature, it is foundational. Meaning our faith is foundational for all believers. Our faith is not just for the mature believers. No, no, no. It's foundation for all believers. Now what are we again talking about our faith? I explained up front, but because I like you, let me say it again. The faith here that Scripture's talking about and Paul's talking about is not everything found in Scripture. The faith he's referring to is the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And no more. That's what he's talking about. And that is foundational for every believer. Whether you know the books of the Bible, whether you know the songs about the book of the Bible, whether you finish growth phases, whether you've ever even read a book from a follower of Jesus, if you have believed in the gospel, then you have this foundational faith. A faith that is foundational on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason our faith is foundational is because it's based on the foundation of who He is. See, listen. Our faith is not foundational because it's based on you and I. No, no, no. Our faith is not foundational because it's based on culture or the whims or opinions of people. No, no. Our faith is foundational because it's based on the person of Christ. The Christ that Hebrews 13, 8 says is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, it's not a true foundation if it's ever shifting and ever changing. But the faith of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is foundational for all believers because our foundation is Him. Christ is the foundation. And He's a living Savior and a living Lord. He's a person who has overcome all sins and has been raised as a guarantee. The message today is titled, The Stone. The Stone. In Mark 16 and verse 1, in the gospel account of Jesus' life and His establishing the new covenant through His shedding, the giving of His life, the shedding of His blood and the, His body being broken. It says in Mark 16 verse 1, Now when the Sabbath was passed, that being Sunday, I mean Saturday, so now Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, bought spices that they might come and anoint Him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, Sunday, that's why we gather on Sunday, friends, as followers of Jesus, because it's the day of His resurrection. And without the resurrection, our faith is empty. Our faith is futile. But because of the resurrection, our faith is factual. Our faith is full of power. And our faith is foundational. Meaning, we start the week with the foundation of our faith that He lives that's why we meet on and gather on Sundays. So very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. 
and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Think about these Marys going to the tomb and they had bought and prepared these spices thinking that they would anoint his dead body. And as they're going, they're pondering, they're asking themselves the question. And it's a question that I think many of you ask whether you're conscious of it or not. And they're asking, who will roll away the stone? Because the stone was very large, was very heavy. But notice it's when they looked up, they saw that the thing that they were wondering and questioning, how would they have the stone rolled away? It had already been rolled away. The stone has been rolled away, friends. And the stone has been rolled away by a greater stone, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And when I was thinking about this text, of how as they were spending all this mental energy asking a question that truly had already been answered, that a greater stone, the chief cornerstone, Jesus, had already rolled away the stone. I, I, as I thought about it, I thought about how Scripture says that the law of Moses, the law of commandments, were written on stones. The Ten Commandments of the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, the law of Moses, was written upon stones. And I thought about how so many people the reason they're wondering who will move away the stone is because they're getting confused regarding our faith. The faith that we're talking about that is factual, that's full of power, that's foundational. They get confused and they think that our faith is the Ten Commandments. Are they get confused thinking that our preaching is declaring a code of rules and regulations. Do you know how many rules and regulations and how many commands was in the code called the Law of Moses? 613. Can I tell you something? That's what's called a heavy stone. That when you think that our preaching or our gospel is the 613 commands, or it's a code of a bunch of rules of do-nots and do's, that heavy stone begins to be rolled over your mouth. But we're here today to remind us, the presence of our King and risen Savior, that our faith, our preaching, is not the Ten Commandments. It's not a code of rules and regulations. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of our living King and Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, declaring the testimony of God concerning His Son Jesus Christ is not based on the law of commandments. Your ability, my ability, us as a community, a local church, church's ability to declare the testimony of God is not based on our performance. It's not based on our works. It's not based on our own righteousness. It's not based on our own achievements. It's not based on whether we've had a good week or not. It's not based on whether we've measured up to some standard or not. It's not based on if we've obeyed a code of rituals or rules or commandments or if our performance has been up to someone's standard. Nor is it based on the depth of our knowledge of even God's Word or the ways of God. Our ability to declare the testimony of God is based on Jesus who died, was buried, but rose again. He is the foundation of our declaration. He is the foundation of our gospel. He is the foundation 
of our good news, which is what gospel means. He is the foundation of our faith. Listen to me. I know you love yourself. I know I love myself. I know we all have selfishness about ourselves. But our gospel is not based on you, friend. Our gospel is not based on me, friend. Our gospel is not even based on this church, friend. Our gospel is based on Jesus Christ, who was dead but lives forevermore. And when we get this confused, a big stone rolls over our mouths because the law and the commandments was given to silence our mouths. And when you think that our declaring that Jesus lives is based on us obeying all of the Ten Commandments are all of some code and standard of living. A stone rolls over and silences our mouth. Why? Because we all know none of us has obtained to the full measure in Christ. None of us has reached the place to learn all that we could ever learn from God's Word. You know what's interesting? I read, I believe it was even this week. And, I, and I've mentioned at times, not necessarily from the pulpit, but in other settings here within this community, of how grateful and I am and find such wonderful demonstration of many of the females, uh, married women in, in our congregation who come who serve, who follow Jesus week after week without their spouse or husband coming. And I talked before about our heart and our concern when you look in American Christianity of the ratio oftentimes in churches and, and those that are attend or involved of between men and women. And we want to see men live for the risen king. But so often men are not involved or they're disconnected. And I was reading this week that when it comes to people being satisfied in regards to their job, that getting more money doesn't keep people. And they showed that what keeps men in jobs is feeling competent in the job. That sense of feeling competent and not a failure. Feeling not futile with it, but competent. And it hit me. You know why so many men are missing from the gathering of the saints? Is they don't feel competent in how to praise Jesus how to follow Jesus, how to get on their knees and just talk to Abba Father and God. And that sense of not feeling competent in something that is about learning how to trust, not learning how to just do. There's such a disconnect and they say, I, I feel uneasy. And I want to tell men that's here or men that's listening, listen, there were things growing up in life that you didn't start off feeling competent in. But God gave you the capacity to learn. And it's the same thing about trusting Jesus. That you can feel competent in the fact of looking to Jesus who was dead, was buried, but rose again. So you remember the questions? The questions we started with. If the tomb is empty, why are our mouths empty? Why are we not declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others? Because of one of the biggest lies in American Christianity. Oh, 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 you're, you've been waiting the last... Uh, about 25 minutes for me to answer it, some of you. Oh, you want the answer of what the big lie is. 
Good, because I'm ready to give it. The big lie a person tells himself or believes is I do not know enough nor am I mature enough in Christ to tell others the gospel. One of the biggest lies believed in American Christianity is I do not know enough nor am I mature enough in Christ to tell others the good news. The good news. The lie that I don't know enough to share what Scripture says are common faith. We all don't have the common knowledge of God's Word. We all don't have the common understanding of all that God's Word means. But we all who are followers of Jesus have what Scripture calls the common faith. And what is the faith that Scripture is talking about? Faith in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus that he lives and because he lives there still is a power to save there still is a power to forgive people I want to read in 1 John 5 they don't have it I didn't give it to them but I want to read it to you 1 John 5 beginning in verse 9 it says if we receive the witness of men the witness of God is greater. Someone say witness of God. For this is the witness of God. Someone say witness of God. Which He has testified of His Son. Verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed the testimony that God has given of His Son. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. The Apostle John says, He who has the Son has the life. Meaning, if you have the Son, then you have the life to testify about. Because you're not testifying about your life. You're testifying about Jesus' life. And to the one who has received the Son, you have that life. You have it the moment you believe, not the moment you know the books of the Bible. Not the moment when you finally finish growth phases. Not the moment you take an apologetics course. Not the moment you go through some strict discipleship or pastoralship. No, no, no. He who has the Son has the life. And therefore, if you have the life, you have the life to testify about. And did you know it? Did you notice it? That the subject of those verses is God. That God witnesses. God gives a witness. God testifies. Which goes back to our last point. Our faith is foundational. And because it's foundational... It's unshakable, meaning it's not based on you and I. It's based on Christ and what He's done, which is unchanging. Therefore, regardless of where we're at in life, regardless of where we're at in following Jesus, regardless of where we're at in the seasons of life, we because we have the Son, have the life. And therefore we can share our common faith with others because it's not based on us. God does the witnessing when you just declare what He's witnessed to, that Jesus alone is the way. And God has given assurance to this by raising Him from the dead. So the big lie is, I don't know enough. Nor am I mature enough in Christ to tell others that God sent His Son who was crucified for our sins, who died, He was truly dead, but then God raised Him from the dead so that God can offer in Him overcoming life, a life and a power that saves us from our own sin and selfishness and the results 
of our sin and eternal damnation. Do you know, though, that this lie that's been one of the greatest lies believed in American Christianity, do you know a result of the big lie? A result of the big lie is therefore we leave the sharing of this common faith, the sharing of what the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, we leave it to the pulpit in local churches. We leave it to the pulpit and to the microphones and to the speaker system to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we organize entire denominations in local churches around the lie. And we like it that way. Because lies lead to codependency. And codependency wouldn't be around if there wasn't some type of false benefit in it. Is that all then the brothers and sisters become dependent on the pulpit and the speaker to do the work for them. But then the speaker or the preacher gets the benefit of everybody always looking to them and depending on them to do the work. But feeling important. Feeling like they're the only one that can do it. And I want to tell you that all that's based on one of the biggest lies of American Christianity. It's a common faith for all of us. And if you have the Son, you have the life. And if you have the life, you can testify about it. And when you testify about Jesus, God does the witness. And then God does the testifying by you testifying to what God has done. And therefore, that's why Jesus said, when you say this, they're not re- the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You tell people about it. Have you heard about the good news of God gave His Son and He was crucified, died, buried, but rose again so that we could have new life, forgiveness of sins? That that's not based on us. And therefore, that's why Jesus said, if they reject it, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the witness of God. They're not calling you a liar. They're calling God a liar. And guess what? God's big enough to handle it. But when we think that our faith is based on the foundation of our performance, on our knowledge, on how much of Scripture we know, on how far we've gotten in our faith, then the stone rolls over our mouth. Because that standard silences us because we know we haven't measured up. We've not reached all that could ever be reached. So listen, declaring the testimony of God concerning His Son Jesus Christ is not based on any law of commandments. It's not based on our works, our achievements, our maturity, it's based on the facts of the witness of God that's full of the power of God and is foundational for our testifying, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Do you know what testify means? According to dictionary.com, my favorite dictionary in the last several years, if you've been around here, it means to bear witness to. Listen. We're not bear witnessing to our opinion. We're not bearing witness to our judgment. We're not bearing witness to our speculation. We're not even bearing witness about us. We're not bearing witness that, that we have achieved something way more than the people were testifying Two, about Jesus. But when you believe that lie, the stone, a heavy stone, falls over our mouth and silences us from just bearing witness to the witness of God that He gave concerning His Son by raising Him from the dead. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, We preach Christ, not ourselves. When we think that what we're declaring is ourselves or our own standard of 
of achievement or our own standard of righteousness or our own standard of holiness, that stone gets rolled back over our mouths and it silences us. And we enter into this dysfunctional codependency in American Christianity where the people just come and sit and give, look to the pulpit to do the declaring, and then the pulpit looks to them to just sit and give. And that's not what God's designed for you and I, friends. Because if you have the Son, you have the life. You need nothing else, nothing more to testify about the life. You have the life. And as you declare the testimony God gave about the life, about His Son, in those words is the presence and the power to save those that believe. Hallelujah. We are testifying to what God has done in His Son. We're testifying to established facts, facts that are full of power, a foundation that is sufficient to forgive people, to save people. We're testifying to what Christ has accomplished, not to what we have accomplished, not to what we've obtained, not to what we've achieved. And so listen, so many have had a stone over their mouth because they get confused or have gotten confused testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ, watch this, versus teaching Christian ethics. We've gotten confused the difference between testifying to the witness of God concerning His Son and those facts. We've gotten that confused with teaching Christian practices or Christian ethics. Listen, when it comes to Christian ethics, how do we live as followers of Jesus? How does the, all of the teachings of God's Word apply to what we encounter in culture? That absolutely requires discipleship. It absolutely requires us learning. That's what a disciple is. It absolutely requires being equipped. But testifying... To what God has already declared by raising Christ from the dead requires none of that. And that's why it's been one of the biggest lies believed in American Christianity and it's rolled a stone over the mouths of Christian American followers of Jesus. And when we come to this series, What Would Jesus Undo? He would undo the stone and the lies that we've allowed to roll over our mouths. He would remove the stone that seeks to silence you and lie to you and make you believe that sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is dependent on you. That it's even built on you or focused on you. Oh no, the power of the message is in the person the message is about not in the person declaring the message. The power to save is in the person the message is about, not in us. Paul said our sufficiency is not flowing from ourselves, but it's coming from God because he wasn't preaching himself. He wasn't preaching his achievement. He was preaching Christ, the good news of God concerning his Son a sufficient foundation, not futile because it's factual, something that's still full of power. And that overcoming life of Christ is present in His gospel. Look at with me at 2 Corinthians 4 or 5. Come on, Ben. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Paul says we're not out declaring where we're at on the journey. We're not out telling others all the tenets, all the aspects regarding discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. We're not out trying to convince others of the Christian ethics regarding 
abortion and homosexuality. He said, listen, when it comes to sharing our gospel, that is separate. What good does it do if we convince the world around us of biblical morality, but they don't have the only secure and solid foundation to forgive them of their sin and save them from their sin. They can build their life on all the other applications regarding discipleship and Christian ethics, but if they don't have Christ as their foundation on that day, their life will not be able to stand before their holy creator and loving God. And that's why Paul said, when I go into a city, the first thing I deliver is this gospel, this faith, handed down once and for all of the crucifixion and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Because without the foundation, they're not saved. And without being saved, what good does it do if they have the, a morality that's temporary? when it comes in regards to eternity. A stone gets rolled away. A stone gets rolled away when we turn back to the truth of the simplicity of what our faith and our gospel means. Think about it. Paul went in Corinth. Paul never met the people in Corinth. He didn't live a life for eight years, ten years, four years that then qualified him to share the faith handed down once and for all? No, no, no. Because the our gospel, the our faith he's talking about is preaching Christ. Not how well we followed Him. Not how far we followed Him. We're not preaching yet where we've reached when it comes to Christian ethics. We're preaching Christ because Christ alone can save people. And without people being saved, all the other aspects of God's Word doesn't provide a sufficient foundation for them when they stand before God. It starts here. Jesus, what would He undo? He doesn't do this big lie. He doesn't do the stone from our mouth that tries to get us to believe that we don't know enough, nor are we mature enough, nor are we living enough Christian ethics to declare what God's already declared. We're just testifying to what God's testifying to. We're not the center, we're not the foundation, we're not the subject. The spotlight's not on us. We're, we're putting, just testifying to what God put the spotlight on and He put the spotlight on His Son, that He's the only way, truth, and the light by raising Him from the dead. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.